Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. That is very near and dear to my heart, um, as the guys that are on duty and back this morning, um, whoever's on duty gets to pray with the pastor prior to the service, and as we were praying today, I mentioned to them about how this is a topic that I, I feel very, I, I can get intense about this, so I'm going to try not to be too intense for you today. Um, in a lot of ways, this is going to piggyback a little bit on Pastor Aaron's message last week. If you remember the top, the, the title that he gave it is, You Are Greatly Loved. And he talked about how that chapter in Daniel demonstrated God's love um, being worked out in and to and through Daniel in his circumstances of that day, and how that kind of works its way out to us today. Well, I'm going to jump off as a starting point with a very familiar passage, what's probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, and go from there and consider how God's love is being worked out in, to, and through us today. Because, yes, you are greatly loved. But it's not just you. We'll get into that in just a second. Will you pray with me before we start? Father God, thank you for your love, a love that has called us to be your children, a love that has brought us to be in this place at this time, a love that, when we truly consider it, is overwhelming. Lord, I pray that you would just guide this time we have together today as we open up your word that what is spoken and what is heard is only your word. And Lord, if I stray from that at any point, I pray that you would shut everyone's ears, that they would not hear those, that they would not hear me, but they hear you and only you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. Um, while I, I appreciate the way Pastor Aaron reads through the passage prior to going back and speaking about it, um, and typically when I have the opportunity to preach, I do that. I'm not going to do that today, though, um, because there's a whole lot of passages I'm going to be bringing in and a whole lot of stuff that's going to be kind of flowing in and out. So we're not going to take that time. If you think about John chapter 3, John chapter 3 is an encounter between Jesus and you remember who? Nicodemus. Very good. Who was Nicodemus? He was one of the leaders in the synagogue. He was a man of great importance in the religious life in Jerusalem at that time. 
Nicodemus was was one who taught the law, was one who judged the people within the context of the law. Nicodemus knew his stuff. Nicodemus was a man who lived for God. He was an honest seeker of God in every aspect of his life. And that's why Nicodemus, here in this episode in John chapter 3, came to see Jesus that night. He had been listening to Jesus' teaching. And he knew that there was more there, and he was trying to understand. So he comes, and they're, they're talking, and he asks questions, and Jesus Jesus brings him up short a little bit. Says, you call yourself a teacher of the law at one point, and, and you don't understand some of these basic things that God wants you to understand. And Nicodemus, I'm sure, kind of scratches his head. And that's where, you know, the, the all-important phrase for evangelical Christians Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what do you mean by that? And Jesus explains that to him. And he goes on talking about how the spirit works in the people who give their lives to him. So we're going to pick up here in verse 14 of John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, Jesus talking here, reminding Nicodemus of Israel's history. Just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And here is that most famous verse in the world. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, let's define a couple of these terms here, just to make sure we're all on the same page. First of all, God. Who are we talking about here? We are talking about Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the great I Am he is the Most High, the Everlasting, the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one whom Isaiah saw sitting high on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. The one who Ezekiel described as a figure with the appearance of a man, something like glowing metal, that looked like fire all around. And there was a radiance around him. We're talking about the one that John described in his book of Revelation. As one sitting on the throne. He was like Jasper and Sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. Pretty magnificent pictures there. We're talking about the creator of all that exists. We're talking about the sustainer of the universe. If he were to step back, everything would come crashing down. 
We're talking about the one without whom there would be nothing. Nothing. Do you get that? We're not talking about some vague impersonal force. We're not talking about some supersized human being. We're not talking about some bigger than life comic book style hero. We're talking about the God of the universe. God loved. All right, love. This is a word that gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? I love fill in the blank. I love a good burger. Who doesn't, right? Okay, yeah, some of you might not. I get that. You hear people say, I love, at this time of year, the Browns. <coughs> Pittsburgh boy. Grew up in Southwest Pennsylvania. Sorry, it'll always be that way. We're not talking about just some nebulous thought of love. Um, Webster's New World Dictionary, 2003, says, love, it's a noun means strong affection or liking for someone or something, a passionate affection for one person or another, or the object of such affection, a sweetheart or a lover. <clears throat> Wrong answer. That's not the kind of love God is talking about here. We're talking about a, a love that really cares only about what's best for the other. We're talking about seeking the highest good for somebody else. John actually defines love in one of his other books. The nice thing is it's really easy to remember where to find that definition. If the most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3.16, if you want to know where the definition of that love is, it's in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. A love that is fully and only concerned about what is best for the other. Not what's best for me, not what I need, not what I want, but what's best for them. God's love is a love that only looks to what's best for us, his creation. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe is focused on what's best for his creation. Peter in 1 Peter 4.8 also mentions that love covers a multitude of sins. That's how God loves us. There's none of the romantic stuff here. Not that there's anything wrong with that romantic stuff. Right, Ellen? 
my wife. There's a place for that. But that's not what we're talking about here. God loved the world. What do we mean by that? The word there, cosmos, way back many years ago, there was a PBS program called Cosmos. Carl Sagan, billions and billions of stars and galaxies. Cosmos, the creation. Earth, moon, stars, planets, the entire universe. And everything that lives within it. That's what he's talking about with the world. Genesis 1, chapter 1, when, when God is talking, going through the creation, there's a phrase that's repeated through Genesis chapter 1. At the end of each day, and God saw that it was good. Each day of his creation, God did his creative act. And at the end of the day, God saw that it was good. Everything he created. Until the sixth day when God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. All of it. The whole creation. Not just the people. All of creation. Now we need to understand though that people hold a special place in this creation of God's. And when we talk about the people in this creation that God loves, who are we talking about? Is it just us? We who gather in his name? Let's see some head shaking. No, please. No. God loves all people. Not just good people. Not just nice people. God loves everyone. No matter what you and I think about them, God loves them. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter what my opinion is of somebody. God loves them. Yes. God deeply loves those whom we love. Yes. God deeply loves those that we can't stand to be around. God loves them. God loves the atheist, the agnostic, the libertine, the hostile. God loves the Democrat, the Republican, the libertarian, the communist, the anarchist. God loves everybody. That doesn't mean God loves what they do. It doesn't mean he loves the way they live. 
God loves them. Consider the people that we see around us all the time. We run into people that we just would rather not deal with frequently, don't we? You know, if we're out shopping and there's somebody having a problem with the store and okay, now we're in line and we have to wait while they're yelling at the clerk. Or we're, I wouldn't quite know how this works because I'm not on Facebook, but maybe we're on Facebook and somebody we know and that we're friends with posts something and they're going on a rant about something. It's like, I totally disagree with them. And what do you do? Maybe it's one of those so-called news programs on television. There aren't very many news programs anymore, are there? And I ran into this with my father. He's like, Dad, can you change the channel, please? All this does is make you mad. How often does it seem like anymore when there's disagreement, the thought is, how many words can I speak before I get cut off? And by speak, maybe I mean yell. Or how loud do I have to get before my opponent shuts up? Or how long do I have to talk over them to get them to stop talking? The temper in the whole world today seems to be one of loud, angry expression of dominance. Is that love? Pastor Ed alluded to this verse earlier, Matthew 9, 36. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. When we see all of this madness going on around us, do we think that? That Jesus would have compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd? I will freely admit, too often, I like to turn around and just, okay, we don't want to deal with this and go merrily on my way. But God loved the world. And God still loves the world. So much that Jesus came into this world with the purpose of dying to achieve forgiveness for our sins. Okay. So often when we're looking in John chapter 3, we stop at verse 16. Well, now we're just getting to the point that I really want to talk about today. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. Did you catch that? He did not send his son into the world to condemn. But, but what about all those sermons I've heard through the years? What about all that sin that he talks about? You know, the church has a long history of condemnation, condemning the world that it exists in. Um, we've experienced things called the Inquisition. Um, there are many examples of people being excommunicated, thrown out of the church. Um, when I was in seminary, a friend of mine loved to quote passages from Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Um, which, by the way, if you read the entire sermon, it doesn't have the flavor that a lot of people give to it when they quote pieces of it. Remember the book of Jonah. Jonah went to Nineveh. And the message that he brought to Nineveh was three days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And once he preached the message, what did he do? Left town, went up on the hill, sat down and said, all right, God, do it. What happened? Do you remember? The people of Nineveh repented. But Jonah was still up there on the hillside. He didn't care that they were repenting. Jonah was just saying, come on, God, fire and brimstone, bring it. We don't ever do that, do we? Do we ever look at somebody that we so heartily disagree with that we demonize them to the point of seeing nothing good in them and want nothing more than for God to rain down his judgment upon them? You ever been there? We dislike them. Okay. Throw out that nice word. We hate them so much that we really don't want them to be saved. Anybody in your life like that? You ever been in that situation? I have. Is that an indictment of our faith? And a lot of times it's not just those outside the church that we 
have no patience with, or we want to see God punish. Sometimes it's even inside the church where we don't have time for people's mistakes, people's lapses in judgment. We don't want anything to do with somebody when they are struggling with sin. Or, or trying hard and failing to keep up with the challenges of life. I have an example in my own family, and I just found out about this uh, about a month ago. About 70, 75 years ago, um, my grandfather walked out on my grandmother and divorced her so that he could play house with somebody else. My grandmother had two young children. They were thrown out of their church because she was divorced. How is that demonstrating God's love? I knew growing up, um, my grandmother died when I was still fairly young. And I knew that she didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about church. And I never understood why. All right, 50 years later, I find out why. How do we react when someone makes a mistake? How do we react when someone is in trouble around us in the church? How do we react when somebody fails just to live up to our expectations? Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Jesus speaking, for the son of man has come to save the lost. Luke repeats this in Luke 19.10. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Who did he come for? The lost. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who does God want to be saved? Everyone. Everyone. Not just the people we like. Everyone. Second Peter 3 9. 
The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Who? All. So what's it to me? Okay, yeah. God says he wants everybody to repent. He wants everyone to experience salvation. Okay. Well, I got mine. So what? There are times in my past... That I have been guilty of being real aggressive when I've been in discussions with people about things of faith. I know, hard to believe, right? I would chafe. I, I can remember one person in particular that I got really angry in, in our discussion because I felt he was so focused on God's love that he was willing to excuse any and every sin. Oh, God's love. And to a point he was right. We're focused on God's love, right? John 3.16, God loved the world. He sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world because of his Love for the world, but that love doesn't excuse sin. My problem was when I was in those arguments, I was so focused on winning the argument that it didn't matter what else happened. Does it matter if I win? If I sacrifice the opportunity to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. Does it matter if I win? If by winning, I cripple somebody in their walk of faith. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the slide that's going to come up kind of abbreviates some of those, highlights a few of the, the things that I wanted to focus on with this message. From Matthew 5, starting in verse 5 and skipping through, the poor in spirit are blessed. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. The merciful are blessed. The peacemakers are blessed. For they will be called sons of God. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before men. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men. That's not talking about the fire in your eyes. 
the light coming from the Lord. So what's it to us? Let our light shine. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 elaborates a little bit more on this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, so if we have repented, if we have come to faith, we are even now a new creation. The old things have passed away and look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled so that we can help others to be reconciled. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What's it to us? We're letting our light shine. And we are messengers of reconciliation. First Peter 3, 15 and 16, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this energetically do this with full verver do this with gentleness and respect I was in my mid to late 20s when that finally sunk in. And it sickens me to think how many opportunities I messed up because I ignored those two words gentleness, and respect. We don't have to change our message. Our message is Jesus Christ came into a sinful world who could not come to God on their own. He died on a cross and was raised again to life to pay the penalty for our sin so that that gulf between us and God could be crossed. And anyone who accepts that finished work of Jesus Christ, anyone 
can be saved. Anyone can have that reconciliation with God by accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hope. That's what it's all about. That's what Christianity is in a nutshell. Hope. We have hope. Hope for today and hope for forever because of Jesus Christ. Without him, there is no hope. With him, there is nothing but hope. And it's not a hope like, oh, goodness, I hope this happens. I hope the Browns win. I hope the Indians make the playoffs. I hope. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope knowing something is done. And we just have to wait for it to be finished for us in our lives. A hope that reconciliation is done and we will see that completion at some point. Let's go a little bit further in John chapter 3, picking up in verse 18. Anyone who believes in him, him being Jesus, right, is not condemned, right? Hope. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. You see, we don't have to pronounce condemnation on anybody. Anybody who is separate from Jesus Christ is already condemned. They're already under judgment. It's pronounced. It's there. They're going to experience it. We don't have to call it out. We are called to bring a message of reconciliation, to hold the truth of God's word up in the light of this world so that people can see his truth. Now, when we do that, it's going to disgust some people. Some people are going to be infuriated by that message. It's going to repulse them. People are going to get angry when we speak about the truth of God's love. We don't have to do it in a way that will repulse, infuriate, anger, disgust. 
God's love will make some people angry. They don't want to hear about it. They know who they are. They, in quotes, who are already condemned. They understand that the life they're living is contrary to a biblical lifestyle. Now, not everybody will be able to put it in so many words like that, but they'll understand that the life they're living is not right. They don't want to look into the mirror that we hold up when we start talking about Jesus. And, you know, if we're honest, aren't we the same with the areas where we're still struggling in this life? We don't like people holding up that mirror because we know we still fall short there. We know we still struggle there and we don't want to keep being reminded about it, do we? So you can understand someone who is already condemned might struggle with hearing the truth of God's word. That doesn't mean we don't speak. That doesn't mean we just let them go their merry way and whatever happens, happens. It means we lovingly, gently, respectfully maybe even pleadingly talk about reconciliation to God. And he has already done all the work. We just have to accept it. Romans 8, 18 to 25. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it and the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this we hope we are saved. Yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Do you have hope? Do you?
that hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ is your Lord. That you are counting on his completed work and that alone for your relationship with God. That you stand on his righteousness and his resurrection. Do you have that hope? Can you explain the reason for the hope that you have to somebody else? That's what we're supposed to do as ambassadors. That's the message we're supposed to bring. The hope that we have to share with people who have no hope. Can you explain the reason for your hope? John 3, 16. God loved the world so much. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Joyful labor. When it comes right down to it, the labor we're supposed to be doing for God Sharing that message of reconciliation. That's a joy, isn't it? Be reconciled to God. Step out of condemnation and into life. Step out of punishment into the full expression of his love. Our labor in Christ Joyful labor. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for your son who has completed his work and is continuing to work through us in the world today. Lord, help us to recognize that Wherever we go, we can be about your business. That we can demonstrate your love in the same way it has been demonstrated to us. Help us not to get hung up on on differences. Help us not to get hung up on how lost some people are. Help us to focus on you and on introducing as many people as we can to the love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.